Every speaker has a story to tell and something to share. How they got started, why they chose a specific niche, and the lessons they've learned along the way. Join me, Charles Xuan, as I interview professional members about their personal journey in the professional speaking world and how PSASA played a part in the career growth. I've always been a teacher and I always like to say that I've never really come out of that. I'm still a teacher and so that's, that's how I sort of soothe my soul and help myself sleep at night. But I, I believe that I'm, I'm consistently a teacher and we all are. If you're a speaker, if you're someone who's a solution driver in an organization or a consultant, whatever it is, to some extent, you're a teacher. Today, we have a very, very special lady. Why I say she's special is because she is the first ever winner of the speaker factor. What is your name, mystery lady? My name is Zanel Njapa. So coy, so coy, but you know what? Her vibey personality is going to come out now because she just came off a very, very high energy uh, presentation. So she's still soaking it up. But Zanele, I want to welcome you to the show. I know you, uh, you have, um, your niche is to, to teach people to how, how to unlearn. But before I get to that, I want to find out a few things from you. Um, number one is you were a teacher, primary school teacher for about two years at a school in, um, in KZN. Yes, that's correct. So with growing up, uh, what was, was that always like your goal? Did you always wanted to be a primary school teacher? Yes, I did. Funny enough, that was always what I knew I wanted to do, especially if you look at my younger years, I used to close my little brothers in our spare room and teach them, albeit against their will, but I used to <laughs> teach them using my own notebooks and my own notes. And then, then I would walk up and down the, the house hallway with tea in my hand and my mother's high heels because yeah, the teaching thing was just, it was just my thing from so early on. Do you remember how old you were when the, the, the first time you realized I wanted to be a teacher? Wow. It was probably when I was in primary school. So around grade one, two, going up. So early primary school, I already knew. Wow. You know what? It's, uh, it's not very often people know they're calling so early, so early on. So the fact that you have found yours, it's, it's quite, a, a, quite an amazing thing. And do you remember the day that you got your degree? I mean, how was that like? Hmm. It was, it was interesting, Charles. And, and I think that this will be a great bridge, obviously going forward into our conversation, but it was very interesting because I knew that I was finally going to be a primary school teacher, what I wanted to do, but I also knew that there was something outside of that as well. So there was not just the satisfaction, but there was this forward lookingness of, okay, where else can this go? I'm going to get started with the, in the classroom now, but where else can this go? Mm. Okay, mm. so it obviously certainly went somewhere. And this is <laughs> where your, 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 your speaking came. So tell us, like, how, how did that happen? And how long did it take for you to come up with your framework? Sure. So I've always been a teacher. And I always like to say that I've never really come out of that. I'm still a teacher. And so that's, that's how I sort of soothe my soul and help myself sleep at night. But I, I believe that I'm, I'm consistently a teacher and we all are. If you're a speaker, if you're someone who's a solution driver in an organization or a consultant, whatever it is, to some extent, 
you're a teacher. So the question for me as I was working within the primary school classroom was really how can my teaching impact be greater and how can I impact and grow and, and learn from a surrounding or an audience that's, that's different from the one that I'm exposed to now. So it was really a question of where else, where else can I go? What's the bigger impact that I can make? Obviously not downplaying the impact in the classroom because that one is significant. And I, I often think that that one's possibly bigger than what we get to do in corporates today. But there was definitely that question of, okay, so I work extensively with children. What are the other things that I can do? What other audiences can I impact and work with and help to grow? So that's, that's the first thing. And then also to answer your, your sort of the last end of your question, with my understanding around how children unlearn how they transition, but more importantly, how future skills are really children's skills. That was a very big touch point for me. That was when I started to really realize that the future skills that organizations and teams and individuals in the corporate and other spaces are looking for so keenly are skills that children don't even have to think twice about. Things like inquisitiveness, playfulness, and, and, and all of these, these skills like frankness and being able to call a spade a spade, those are all skills that children already have. So much so that we actually want them to downplay them and we spend the entire child's life and well into adulthood sort of beating those out of them. That's mm -hmm. when I realized that maybe our greatest work is not necessarily learning per se, but maybe it's unlearning, unlearning some of the things or layers that society has put on us so that we can't access those children's skills that are actually quite natural to all of us. Can you give us an example of uh, one of the things that you see that adults should definitely unlearn? <laughs> That's a good question. Hmm, let me see. So maybe one that I can say is this idea of, or this fear of being wrong. Mm. I think I think that that's our most crippling, oh, our most crippling trait as adults. Because mm. if you look at children, I, I used to identify this all of the time, where they almost have lost or don't even have, especially from the beginning, this fear of being wrong, because they they will try consistently, and the being wrong or the failing gives them the the sort of hint that there's there's another way. I should keep trying because I can do it. But for us, what that idea of being wrong or failing does is it shuts us down from trying in the first place because we've developed all of these. What are people going to say? What is, how is it going to impact my, my ego and how I come across? I have so much to lose. So I think that that's definitely one of the biggest things. For any I, couldn't, I, couldn't agree, I couldn't agree with you more. I've seen this happen over and over. And I remember uh, there was one case I went to a restaurant with a friend of mine and uh, there, were, there was a little, little boy there and they were playing by the, the playroom and he came down from the, the, the slide and he was trying to walk up the slide and he keeps on falling down. He keeps on falling down, falling down at least three, four times because I think in his mind, if I just came out of that thing, I can surely I can go up. Yes. He wasn't thinking about go, using the steps around it. He said, like, I came down from the slide. Let me just, and uh, 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 maybe, I think maybe the fourth or fifth time he eventually got up there. It, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like, like adults. We're so scared of, of failure, like you said. And it's, it's yeah. sad. 
it's really, really sad. And, um, and then I, I remember there was an interesting analogy that you used. You said it's kind of like a trapeze, a person that's mm. doing trapeze. Can you share with us uh, the, the, the analogy of that? Sure. So that's an analogy that, that really stems from William Bridges' work on transitions. So it's this understanding that any given transition is a combination of roughly three different stages. So it's the stage of letting go in the middle, what's called the neutral zone, and then at the end, which is the, the grabbing hold. And in, in, my, in my research with organizations and individuals that I work with in a mentorship capacity, I found that that very first part, that letting go, is where you and I are most challenged. So if you think about a trapeze artist who has been swinging on a swing and now it's time for them to let go of the swing that they've been swinging on for a while so that they can leap into the air and grab hold of either another catcher's hands or another swing on the other side, there's this real volatility, there's this fear and anxiety that's associated with that. So, and it all stems from this letting go because letting go is associated with loss and that's where the trick is for all of us it's it's the sense of oh my goodness i'm going to lose something that i've held so dear especially if i don't see what's on the other side for me is there another catcher or another swing for me on the other side if i let go of this one so that's uh, the analogy of the trapeze artist okay question have you been on a trapeze yet Goodness. No, I haven't. But I used to be a cheerleader. I was a professional cheerleader. I have my KZN colors. Mm. Um, and, and so I used to be a, what they call a flyer. Okay. I used to be flung in the air and, and, and all of this type of stuff. So I do have a good idea uh, what it feels like to have to let go of something in hopes of being caught. Well, you know what? Um, speaking about trapeze, because when I saw this analogy, I immediately I could uh, relate to it because... Uh, a few years ago, I had a chance to go to uh, Mauritius and at one of the resorts that we stayed, guess what they had? Trapeze. And me and my wow. friend, we, we signed up for it. And what you said is exactly correct. Even though when you get onto the trapeze, there's a, there's a guide there, there's a safety net, and you can see it there. I saw so many people, they just didn't let go. Eventually, the, 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 the guide had to, say, had to actually force them and yell at them wow. like let go let because the, as you swing you keep on swinging the, you keep on seeing the, yeah. the the guide on the other hand is trying to catch you and because as the, the longer you swing you're going to get tired yeah your hands going to get tired you, your hands going to get sweaty you can get blisters so you have to let go it's very very scary but the good thing is the guide is always there to catch you so oh, whoever who, whoever that hasn't done it before i highly encourage you to try it out plus you're not going to die there's a net there but it is, <laughs> it, it is very, very scary. So when you say the trapeze thing, I, I relate to it straight away because I've done it before and it was, it was amazing. So if you ever get a chance, definitely go for it. Nice, I really, I will. I love that. <laughs> I love that story about how everyone was just so scared to let go and at, at a point where they had to be yelled at. And you know what, the go. thing is, and, and, wasn't, and, and it wasn't just females or males or children, it was all of them. Mm. Male, female, children, some of them just, and, and, and we're sitting there underneath the net. We're like kind of cheering for them. Do what? Do what? Do what? So yeah, yeah. We, 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 had the, we, had the, we had a great view of, of, of seeing that. But I want to ask you something, right? You, you seem to be good at a lot of things. You know, you, 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 you're caring, you have a good intuition, you, 
you've uh, managed to 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 win the competition. Now, question is, Anele, what are you not mm -hmm. very good at? Wow, so many things. Um, <laughs> so many things. <laughs> you know, I'm like shaming myself. I think the main one, Charles, mm. would definitely be like detail-oriented admin organizing type of work. I, I'm a firm believer in owning your strengths mm -hmm. and then outsourcing your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's, that's the, I'm a big picture strategy, balcony type of person. I will see the vision, but when it comes to really picking up the little things, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm very finicky about grammar and, and all these types of things because I was a teacher, but when it yes. comes to the fine print of, of the business and carrying things out and processing invoices and, and, and all this type of stuff, I really, yeah, it's just not my thing. So much so that it's easy for me to overlook. It might be easy for me to overlook things because it's just not my strength. <laughs> all right. But look, you know, we're all born with strength and weaknesses. And I think what's important to, like you say, you have to own your, own your strength and get help for the weakness because we're only humans, right? Nobody's perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's such a good point that you're making because I think it, there's... It, there's so much power in understanding that we exist for each other because the person that you're outsourcing, it's their strength. So Absolutely. they get to play in their mm. field of strength. You get to play in yours. Everyone's happy. It just makes sense. Absolutely. Now I want to talk a little bit about um, the, the PSA and uh, the speaker factor. So the way I, this is just my analogy. Speaker factor is kind of like the idols of speaking. <laughs> um, there's different, uh, so we're not singing, we are speaking. That's the difference. And there are judges there, different regions, and it's a knockout round and winner takes all. Walk us through the whole thing. Like I, I remember chatting to you earlier on, just walk us through the process. Like how, how long and uh, how many times did you rehearse for your speech? All right. So I think you've pretty much summed up the the competition it, it literally is just a, a, a competition that the psasa actually replicates it from psa uk and i mm -hmm. uh, they were the first to to do the competition then we we took over and we didn't take over but we we replicated the concept to our chapter and last year was actually the first year that we did it like you said and uh what happened was this competition is specifically for associate members of the PSASA. So it's for those, you know, the, I don't want to say the babies, but the, the, the forerunners or the individuals that are still coming up want to really create a name for themselves in the speaking industry. And like you said, it's, it's idols. It's, you know, it's one of those we sing against each other. <laughs> and I, I was still a very fresh member of the PSASA when I entered the Speaker Factor competition. But I remember that in 2019, and I'm, I'm very big on setting goals and, and, and following through and, and just having a big vision for the year. So my big vision for the year when I started 2019 was to establish myself as a speaker within the country. So how am I going to grow my speaking business? And you can imagine this was during the year when I was still a primary school teacher, full time, still me and my babies and just making things happen there as well. So it was, a, it was a long shot. But as soon as I heard about the Speaker Factor competition, I had a nudge and you said um, something about intuition. And I must say, it might be sheer dumb luck, but I'm extremely <laughs> intuitive. Mm. And <laughs> so I, I knew that this was a very good competition for me to set me up 
and to really set me on a path towards this dream or this growing the speaking career that I had. So I found out the rules, which was obviously the five minute speech and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, I wrote my speech. I don't, I don't remember exactly how long it took me to write my speech, but I wrote my speech and uh, I had it on a piece of paper and then I would rehearse it. Every time I'd rehearse it, I'd go, oh my goodness, it's over five minutes. What do I need to cut? What do I need to do? And then what I would do as I rehearsed it, as I practiced it, I would stand when there was no one in the house, I would stand in the living room and I would present it and I would uh, pretend someone was, was calling up, calling me up. And then I would hear clapping and then I would get up onto the stage. So you visualize the whole the thing. Over and over. I visualized the entire thing. Yes. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and, and I got up on stage and I did it. And then I would also actually practice it every night before I went to bed. I would lie in my bed at night and I would actually go over the speech in my head and I would check that I got all the words right. And I'd think about all of the different ways that I can improve on it. And, and as someone who's got a keen interest in, in neuroscience and understanding how the brain works, I would then obviously commit it to my higher consciousness or my subconscious mind. Then I would wake up in the morning and I'd find that maybe there's a little insight around a new example or something I can tweak or this and that. Mm. So I really committed to that entire process because I, I really understood what this meant for me in my speaking career and what the speaker factor really can do for an individual. And did you, but outside what, of that, yes, Charles. So when you were, when you were writing your, your speech, I mean, did you get somebody to proofread it or to bounce off ideas? Uh, did, did you do any of that? Good question. I didn't necessarily get someone to proofread the speech, but mm. during the, the rounds at our chapter when we had the chapter competitions, that, that was actually the first time I got feedback on, on the actual speech. That was itself. very gutsy. That was very, very gutsy. Because you, you literally went in cold. It's like literally pitching your idea to a panel of members without getting any feedback. But hey, yeah, you know what? Good. It worked in your favor. Well, no guts, no glory. And uh, guess what? You, you aim for the stars and you got it. Now, now, for somebody that, that was a very, very inspiring story. So it's for somebody out there, not the non-member, associate now, and they associate. say, like, I also want to, to join. Share with, I mean, knowing what you know now, and mm -hmm. what would you say to them? Like, what are the three things or what would you do differently if you had to do it again? Mm. All right. So the first thing I think is definitely enter the competition, but understand that the competition is not everything. If you have the intention to grow and accelerate your speaking career, you will do it with or without the competition. Mm. And that I think is the most important thing, Charles is it's the competition's great, mm. but it's, it's, it really, really is not everything because I came in and I know that with or without it, if you've got the intention to use the, the, the resources available to you in a PSASA, grow your network, whether you win the competition or not, that stuff's going to happen if you've mm. got that intention and you work towards it. And okay. then the second thing is get as much feedback as you can. Speak to people, speak to people who've either wanted to speak to other speakers who, who tried out the, the, the speaker factor and get some experience. Watch some videos. I know I watched videos of some winners from the UK because we didn't have anyone to refer back to in South Africa. And, and I watched those videos to get a really understanding of, oh, okay, that's how they present. That's what their topic was. Okay, maybe I should, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. Okay. So that's definitely the second thing. And then the third thing, 
I don't think there is a third thing. I think that those are the two different things. Do your okay. research, grow your network around understanding the what what the competition is all about. And then the first one is understand that the competition is not everything. Okay. And I mean, uh, you, you must have had a, a lot of uh, interaction with uh, the PSA members by now. Um, I mean, can you tell us perhaps what's been the best advice and what's the worst advice that you have received from, from, from anybody when it comes to speaking? And you don't have to name the person, of course, <laughs> but can you just tell, because I've heard some, some very, very bad advice that people got, but I'll let, I'll let you, I'll, I'll hear your story. Mm. Wow. Okay. So good advice I can say I've gotten is to, and this was from, I'll say it, it was from Richard Mulvey. Okay. Really great advice. He, I mean, he was one of my, my earliest PSA mentors, gave me a free copy of his book when he visited our KZN chapter. And one of the best pieces of advice that I got from his book and from his speech that night was put yourself out there in the beginning. Uh, whether it's doing the rotary and free gigs or, or doing all of those things where you pay your dues and you put your name out there, put in the work, put in the sweat equity in the beginning. So mm. that for me was one of the best pieces of advice that I, because when I did all of those things, I think it unlocked something so profound in my speaking career that allowed me to test not only my content, my delivery as well. It allowed me to understand the runnings of a speaking business. I made contacts there that I'm still in touch with, even though some of that work obviously wasn't paid work, but it was mm. such. You were such building great... bridges. You were building bridges. Oh my goodness. Wow. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And bad advice. And then bad. <laughs> Again, you don't have to mention names unless you want to. Okay, I won't. I won't mention the son's name. <laughs> Such a dear individual to me. But I won't say it's bad advice. I'll just say, I think the only bad advice, and I think I'm going to be a bit philosophical and deep here, but I think the only bad advice is advice that doesn't come from a neutral, objective place. But it's advice that's subjective. And I think that that's what this individual gave me. And this was during the point where I had to take up a, a leadership position in the PSASA, funny enough. And this individual said, no, uh, don't do it. It's, you're, it's premature, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I thought about that advice. And funny enough, I, I eventually was, I am currently president of the KZN chapter. Mm. But what I realized about that advice is that that person was speaking from their perspective, mm. from the perspective that they, maybe when they had the opportunity, it didn't work out or whatever the case was with them. But that advice could have been so much better because it could have been understand where you are, understand what you want to get from that. And my two highest values, Charles, are teaching and learning. And I go into every single situation. I speak to the people I speak with. I hang in the places I hang with for those two reasons. And if it's not going to give me those two in the capacity I want, I'm not coming. So I, I get friends to go, let's go to the beach. And I go, no, I'm not going to do that. It's because I'm looking at those two values and I'm going, uh, I don't think it serves me in that way. And so when this person gave me advice, I think it would have been so much better to give the advice from, from an objective perspective and say, if you understand what this is going to do for your career or what it's not going to do for your career, then make the decision. Then I could do it from my perspective as the person who was going to jump into it. But I found now having done this, having played this role for a long time, is that it fulfills those two in a, in a way that I could never have imagined. 
And if wow. I'd said no, I would be missing out immensely. That that was uh that was that was very very everything that you said you spoke from the heart, and I'm sure that whoever's listening they they can feel your 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 sincerity. Thank you for that. Now, yeah. last question, and then we're going to wrap Aww. up. And this is a philosophical one, perhaps. And I love <laughs> asking people this question because I, I sometimes have the most bizarre answers. And that is, imagine, right? Imagine, like, like, imagine there's a, what is the biggest highway uh, in, in KZN? Or the, the main? Probably the N2. N2, okay. So imagine. Yeah, that's the one I travel most. There's a, on the N2 highway, there's a big, gigantic billboard paid for and say to use mm -hmm. it. You can have any message on it. What would you want to say? Wow. I think I'm going to be a bit cheesy about this one. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it would, it would be something along the lines of unlearn the false, unlearn your false identity and claim who you really are. And okay. I don't know if you want me to explain that. Go for it. I think, I think the reason that's my biggest lesson in my entire life is that we put on these coats and we put on these masks around these false identities that don't align with who we are. And you wake up one day in a cold sweat in your room in the dark and you go, who am I? Mm. And, and I feel it's so important to liberate ourselves from those things, maybe even that your parents have grown you into with obviously their good intentions. But I, I strongly believe it's important for us to unlearn our false identities and claim who we really really are excellent so basically stay true to yourself no matter what absolutely love it zanelle so let's say somebody's listening and they're like wow we love your energy we love your content we love your framework and they're like we want to book you or we want to to consult us where is the best place to get hold of you Right, the best place to get a hold of me is definitely my website. So it's Zanele, Z A N E L E N J A P H A, Njapa.com, Zanelenjapa.com. Or they can just head over to LinkedIn. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. They can find me on there and connect with me. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Zanele. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Charles. It's been a great conversation.